Continuing in our study of Agadah, in the Talmud, Masechet Berachot, and we're analyzing the teaching of Rabbi Eliezer, wherever you like. Rabbi Eliezer says, Shalosh Mishmarot Havei Halayla, the night is made up of three watches. And every one of those watches, HaKadosh Baruch sits and roars like a lion. Shneemar, like it says, Adonai mimarom yishag, HaKadosh Baruch Hu from above will roar. Umimaon kodcho yiten kolon, he shall raise his voice from his holy place. Shaog yishag al navehu, surely he shall roar over his home. And our rabbis tell us there are three times that HaKadosh Baruch Hu roars over these mishmarot. And he roars over the destruction of his Ben-Migdash. Now last week, last week, Rabbi Yosef Chaim of Baghdad told us that intentionally, Rabbi Eliezer says, Ve'alkol mishmar mishmar twice. Instead of saying three times, because each one of those corresponds to a Ben Mikdash that has been destroyed. The first Ben Mikdash, therefore it says mishmar once. The second Ben Mikdash says mishmar twice. But the third Ben Mikdash, which will be rebuilt soon, HaKadosh Baruch will not have to cry over it because it will not be destroyed. V'siman davar. And our rabbis tell us there is a sign, a sign on earth that tells you when the changes of guards of the angels happen in the heavens. So three times in the night the angels change, and those times you can tell when they happen based on things that happen here on this earth. Siman what are those signs? Mishmarari shona, the first watch, chamor noer, a donkey brace. When the donkey makes a sound, that's the first watch. Kshiniya, the second watch. Kilavin Tsoakim, the dogs howl. Shilishit, and the third one. Tinok Yonek Mishedeimo, a baby nurses from his mother's breast. Viisha Mesaperet Imbala, and a woman speaks with her husband. These three watches, the significance of watches. Why donkeys and dogs and babies and wives? What's the importance of that? Is what we've been discussing for a couple of weeks already. And though last week we already began the writings of Rabbeinu Yosef Chaim, the Ben Ishchai, in his book Ben Yehoyada, today I wish to take you to the writings of the Ben Ishchai in his book Benayahu. I don't actually know which book was written first. So I'm sure that if you would look it up, you'd find the printing dates online. I only have one of them in front of me, so I can't compare the two of them. But this book, Benayahu, is another commentary of the Ben Ishchai on the Talmud. And I am referring you now to the PDF that is attached to the Google Classroom invitation. At the bottom, you should see a book that says Benayahu. It might say 2A to 3B. You want to click on that page, on that PDF. And you're going to find yourself at the bottom left of page Aleph. So it's not the first page. It's probably four or five pages into the PDF. But it's page Aleph. If anybody can find it on the PDF, I would appreciate you telling me a number, a PDF page number. Amen. <clears throat>
Anybody? Seven, page seven. Okay, so page seven at the bottom of the page. I must have photocopied a number of introductions there I wanted to study with you once upon a time, but I never got around to it. Uh, so on page seven of the PDF, at the bottom of the page, the Benish Chai writes the following. This, what he's about to write now, is according to Pashat. So he's telling us something that we need to know on a Pashat level, on a level of understanding this world, the Talmud, the way it was written. And so he writes the following. The third watch. A baby nurses from his mother's breast. And a woman speaks with her husband. You should say, This whole sign of a man speaking with his wife, a wife speaking with her husband, this is common. You hear this at the end of the night. The end of the night meaning the morning. That both the husband and the wife are satisfied with sleep. What does it mean satisfied with sleep? They got a good night's sleep. I don't know if anybody alive today gets a good night's sleep. I'm not talking about people with sleeping issues. There are all kinds of people who have. That's something else. I'm talking about otherwise healthy individuals who they go to sleep late. What does late mean? Minastam. Once it gets dark, you're supposed to be sleeping. Meaning right now, the shiul, if we didn't have electricity, we wouldn't be able to have it. Not just because of Zoom. We wouldn't be able to have it because there'd be no light. That was the way Kalosh Baruch intended the world to work. At night you go to sleep. And as one chacham once mentioned in Iraq, for example. So how does the night work? You go to sleep, you pray alvit. As it's getting dark, maybe once it gets dark, there's still some money in the Berakneset for candles. How long can you pay for candles and oil? It's expensive. So you go to the Berakhan, I said, you finish praying Avid, you go home, you eat a little bit, maybe you already ate before Avid, who knows, and then you go to bed. You go to bed until when? If you're a lazy person, you wake up before sunrise. Why? Because Tefillah starts at dawn. The Berakhan said, 4 o'clock in the morning, 4.30 in the morning, what kind of crazy person doesn't pray 4 o'clock in the morning? You go to the Berakhan, and you pray Shacharit, and with the sun rises, you say the Amidah, and then afterwards, you stay a little bit for the rabbi or shiul. Maybe some people have breakfast in the Beda Knesset. And then at around 10 o'clock, 11 o'clock, you go to work because you open up your store. And the day starts until Mincha, the Mincha, until Avit. Avit, again, the cycle, you go to sleep when it's dark, you wake up when it's light. And what if you're more than just a simple person? What if you're not lazy? So already by midnight, you wake up and you go to the Beda Knesset where everyone is gathering to say Tikkun Chatzot, the midnight prayer. And they say the midnight prayer. And then the rabbi gives a shiul from midnight until dawn. Or people learn in chavuot, in groups of people that are studying together from midnight until dawn. And that's the way that a person sleeps. So there's a certain point in which you just can't sleep anymore. You've slept so much, you're done sleeping. From when it's dark until it's light, 12 hours, how much can you sleep? Don't tell this to a teenager or a college student or these people in Bliyan Hama. I once saw a person, I used to be a dorm counselor once upon a time. I once saw a person go to sleep on Friday night after the meal and they woke up for Havdalah. Shabbat they didn't do, they didn't do, for sure the meals of Shabbat they didn't do. Forget all of that, just the ability. It's almost superhuman to sleep for almost 24 hours. But most people, aside from just hours, we stay up late, we wake up 
not just early. We wake up rushing somewhere. You're running to work. You're running to get your coffee. You're running to take your kids to school. You're running to a doctor appointment. You're running, 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 running. You don't wake up. You wake up flying already. The whole night, while you sleep, I'm guilty of this, I charge my phone next to my bed. The problem is that we have a Shiviti Bed Midrash in San Diego. We have a Shiviti Bed Midrash UK. We have Talmudim in Israel. We have Talmudim in New York. And what happens is not everybody knows how to do math so well. You know, it's hard. It's hard to subtract three hours from New York or eight hours from London or 10 hours from Israel. So suddenly it's three o'clock in the morning, but they think by you it's uh, 10 o'clock in the morning. So what do they do? They start calling. The phone is vibrating, it's ringing, whatever it is. You wake up four o'clock in the morning, what's going on? It's an emergency. No, I just wanted to ask you if this chocolate is kosher. I'm in Switzerland. Because of that, at four o'clock in the morning, you're calling me? I didn't know it was four o'clock in the morning. I'm sorry. Everybody's busy their whole life. They're getting notifications. How do I know? Because I have people that don't have their phones on vibrate. They make noise. I once sat with a person. I'm not exaggerating. Every second, every kind of ding, a different kind of ding, a different kind of ring, a different kind of... This one is with Facebook, and that one's with WhatsApp, and this one is with Instagram, and that one... And they don't stop. They don't breathe. So, of course, we don't know what it's like to wake up in the morning. You're so full of sleep that you don't want to sleep anymore. You're not tired anymore. Who experiences that? That they wake up, okay, I'm done sleeping, I'm bored, what am I supposed to do? I used to have a Talmud, Adam Shalom, passed away. That he would wake up every morning at 4 o'clock, and he prayed in a minyan that was at 6.30, that was the earliest minyan that he could get to, and he would wait for two and a half hours, he would wait and wait and wait until someone came to the Knesset to open it up so they could pray shacharit. Okay, so maybe some people know how to be satisfied with their sleep. But for most people, this is a fantasy. So at the end of the night, when people are all slept out, there's nothing left to sleep, a husband and a wife begin to talk. Therefore she sits up and she starts talking with him, her husband. So we understand why we say the end of the first watch is when a woman wakes up to speak with her husband. Because that happens and it makes noise. You could hear it next door, maybe. Or that you know that it's time to say Shema Yisrael. But the baby... Anyone who's ever had a baby, or you remember when you had a baby, babies don't just wake up once at the end of the night. There's no special time for a baby to wake up in the middle of the night. The baby, once he sleeps, the baby wakes up four or five times during the night. To nurse from his mother. And he doesn't nurse more in the morning than he nurses at 2 o'clock in the morning. So says the Menishchai, you understand the siman, the sign of a man speaking with his wife, it makes sense. But a baby nursing, baby nurses the whole night. We had a similar question about the dogs. Dogs, they bark the whole time. Dogs are always barking. So what's so special about this dog's howling? He mentions more than one dog. It's Kelavim. It's all, all the dogs are barking. All the dogs are howling. That tells you something that's more than just a regular dog who barks. Vod, furthermore, Rov Hatinokot, most of the babies, En Nishma Kol Binikatam. When they nurse, they don't make any noise. Babies don't make noise when they nurse. No, they're not going uh, to the kitchen and taking out a glass and opening the fridge and getting... They're, not, they're just nursing. There's nothing they're doing. 
So tell me, says the Benish Chai, how is a person supposed to know what time it is, meaning to say Shema Yisrael, based on a baby nursing? A baby nursing nurses the whole night, and a baby doesn't make noise when a baby nurses. So how are you supposed to know? What do you guys think about the question? I feel like one of you already asked this earlier. I don't remember who. It's quite obvious. A baby wakes up many times in the night. That's one. And even when a baby wakes up, he doesn't make noise. I mean, maybe waking up he makes noise. He cries. But nursing, the act of nursing doesn't make noise. It appears to me with HaKadosh Baruch helps the Ben the sign of the end of the third watch is only that which it said that a woman speaks with her husband. This happens at the end of the third watch. So if the only siman is the husband and the wife speaking with each other, then for what purpose did it tell you about a baby? And it mentions this baby, not in order to tell you that that's the sign of the third watch. Rather, he's telling you about the baby to tell you why it is that a woman is speaking with her husband. What motivated her to speak with her husband? Because the baby, when he wakes up at the first watch or the second watch in order to nurse, in the West, this is considered improper practice. But in the East, in Anam Israel, this was done for centuries. Yes. That how did she nurse her baby earlier in the night? She would lay in her bed on her side, and the baby would lay next to her, and the baby would nurse from her while she was still kind of sleeping. And the baby is laying right next to her. The top of the next page bit. And the lady doesn't actually get out of bed. The mother doesn't get out of bed the first watch or the second watch, sits up on a couch to hold her baby and to, to nurse him. Ella, rather, what does she do? In the middle of the night, when somebody wakes you up, you aren't yet ready to just jump out of bed. There, there are some people they jump out of bed, but most people they wake up at two o'clock in the morning. Who knows? You could answer a phone call. You could help your kid who got out of bed. You could, but but to actually get out of bed. It takes effort. It takes more energy than just dealing with the problem from laying inside of your bed. So the mother, the earlier parts of the night, she doesn't actually get out of bed. She just nurses her baby in bed. But the third watch, which is at the end of the night, she's already satisfied with her sleep. When the baby wakes up to nurse, she really sits up. She holds her in her in her arms. She holds him to embrace him so that he can nurse. Why? Because she's already awake. There's no reason to stay in bed anymore. And because now she's already sitting up and she's awake, 
Nistalka hashena me'aneha legamre. The sleep has already disappeared from her eyes, meaning she's not tired anymore. I'm sure all of you are familiar with this human trait. You wake up, and for the first few minutes, perhaps you could still go back to sleep. But then when you start thinking too much, or you start being awake too much, or you get out of bed too much, already you're awake. Now I'm fully awake. And she then has a clear mind to be able to speak a normal conversation with her husband. Because he also is completely slept out. He's already done all his sleeping he needs for the night. And he's also going to wake up with her and talk to her. They said there was once a husband and a wife who made a deal. Their baby was already not nursing. He was already taking formula. And so they made a deal. She's already going back to work. He's going back to work. And they're going to take turns. One night he feeds her. One night she feeds her. One night he feeds her. One night she feeds her. That way at least one of them will get a good night's sleep each night. Fine. So the first night, the mother wakes up. She heats up the formula. She gets the baby ready. She holds him. She feeds him. She... Puts him back in his bed, she goes back to sleep. She does that the whole night, a few times already. The second night, the baby starts crying. And so the wife, she nudges her husband, no, it's your turn tonight. He says, okay, I'm thinking about it. What are you thinking about? I'm thinking about it, don't worry, go back to sleep. So a few minutes later, the baby's still crying. What are you thinking about still? You gotta go feed the baby. I'm still thinking about it. Finally, she gets salted. I don't understand. You made a deal with me. He said, yeah, but I went to the rabbi shiul tonight. He said, yeah, what happened in the rabbi shiul? The rabbi in the shiul, he taught us a pasuk. The pasuk says, that a man thinks many thoughts. And the will of a kadosh Baruch Hu. No matter what a man thinks, a kadosh Baruch Hu's will will always take place. She said, how is that relevant to our situation right now? And he says, if you understand the Hebrew, a man has many thoughts in his mind. But what does HaKadosh Baruch Hu give him etza? What does he suggest to him? She should wake up and feed the baby. And so I said, that's what I learned in the Rabbi Shiu, that you should go feed the baby. Of course, it's not what the Rabbi meant. And I only shared the joke to make you smile a little bit. And this is what he means. Shilishit, the third watch. At that time, a baby nurses from his mother. And by, by that, because she's already awake from nursing, she speaks with her husband. She already is now sitting up and she's not drowsing off anymore. And then she speaks with her husband. And therefore says the Benishchai in his book Benayahu, that the siman is only the mother speaking with the husband and not the mother nursing her baby. That's not a siman. It only explains to you why the mother was awake in the first place. The mother was awake in the first place because the baby woke her up and already at this time of the night she slept enough that she has the energy to get out of bed. We can now analyze a different question. We 
why does it say a baby who nurses from his mother's breast? And it doesn't just say a baby nurses and a woman speaks with her husband. I mean, why does it mention that about the mother? Says the Benish Chai for a reason. This only is a situation when a baby nurses from his mother. Because then the mother will really wake up. And inevitably she'll come to speak to her husband. But what if he nurses from the midwife or the, and there's a word for her, she's the one who nurses the baby? A wet nurse. A wet nurse, thank you, Abanit. More than that, today you don't necessarily have a wet nurse, but sometimes people have a babysitter or a nanny or all kinds of people that may have a grandmother that's staying there to help or all kinds of people who help. My brother, Zakhul Atovish, remembered for, for always for good things. I went to go stay with, I had to do a wedding for a student of mine in New York, and I went to stay with my brother and my sister-in-law and their kids. And my brother, not only did, my brother does a lot of akhrasat He's a, a very, him and his wife, they all kinds of people they host and they take care of and they stay in touch with people. And just good people, not just my, because they're my brother and sister-in-law, but they're good people even if they weren't my brother and sister-in-law. But they hosted me in their home, and so I came myself, my wife, my children, at the time that baby twins were just born. And to travel with four kids, especially two of them are newborn babies that are twins at the same time, is complicated. My sister-in-law, she went out of her way to hire a nurse. Who does this kind of akhlasatokhim? She hired a nurse for us the whole night. The whole night there was somebody who came, was paid from, I don't know, 8 o'clock at night to 8 o'clock in the morning. She was awake the whole night next to the babies. That's her job. She takes care of them. She feeds them. She So that we could sleep a normal night. I had to go to New York to sleep a normal night for the first time. That's on a level that you have never heard of before. I never heard of such a level before. So what happens if that's the situation? So then the mother doesn't wake up. If you nurses from the, the wet nurse, the mother is sleeping like everybody else in the world. And even though technically at that time she could already be awake because she slept enough, she's not going to wake up, jump out of her bed, but sit and speak with her husband. She stays in her bed. She's laying in her bed. Nim nim. Is anyone familiar with this, this term? It's a halakha in Masechet Megillah. We discussed this. Half asleep. Well, what is, but what, does anyone know the context of this phrase? Nim nim? One eye, the, other one is open. the context of the halakha. I'm asking for a question. I don't know that. Abba for sure knows. Nim nim, tir tir. I know what the concept is. The concept is for if, if a person is sleeping, can count into dominion. Especially in Chod Megillah, we're talking about in terms of reading the Megillah. But if half asleep, and so the Gemara asks, what does it mean? Half asleep, half asleep, nim, no nim. Which means you call his name, say, Moshe, and say, okay. But you ask him an intelligent question, he doesn't answer. But if you ask him a logical question, he doesn't answer it. Thank you, Abba. That's exactly the context. So she's laying in her bed, and you know, she could say all kinds of things, and all, but she's still really sleeping. Definitely she's not speaking with her husband. 
And the wet nurse, she doesn't, it's not her way to speak with the husband when he's in bed. You accept that? I mean, that's time. If the husband and wife are sleeping, the wet nurse isn't coming to speak with the husband now just because she's nursing. So, and kan siman. And therefore, the baby is not a siman in and of himself. The baby is only a siman that is attached, it's attached to the mother nursing. Very good. Now, I'm going to skip the next paragraph only for five minutes. Just for five minutes. Let me skip to the other side. I want to get the pshat out of the way, and then we'll get back to the Ben in the left column, it says Sham. You see the big bold letters, it says Sham. Kevandi Sham Baala. Once, remember we were talking about a man, he's staying home alone. He's in a dark house. How does he know? He doesn't see the windows, so he can't tell if the sun rises, he can't tell if the sun says Shema. He doesn't know if it's dawn outside. So how does he know when he hears Kevan Sham Baala, when a woman speaks with her husband, once the uh, uh, baby nurses from his mother, a uh, woman speaks to her husband, a baby nurses from his mother, then he knows to wake up. Now if you remember, this is out of order. This is out of order. The Ben Ishchai mentioned in Ben Yehoyada another answer about why this order has changed. Why in the beginning does it say that a baby nurses from his mother and then a mother wakes up? And then here it says, a mother wakes up and then a baby nurses. The Ben over there, the simplest answer he gave us. Do you remember the simplest answer? Almost all of you were there. The Ben brings an older text of the Talmud in which both of them are in the same order. Do you remember that? Yes? So the simplest answer to most questions is just look in the original sources and you'll see the right answer. But let's pretend that they're out of order. Hikshat Tznachzav, the Tznach, asks the following question. Why did it change? Here it says first uh, a woman speaking and then a baby nursing, but there it says first a baby nursing and then a woman speaking. And here it says a woman before a baby. It appears to me, says the Ben Yishchai, based on what I said above, that the baby doesn't make noise when he nurses. So the person who hears it will then know, oh, I have to say Shema Yisrael. But the reason why the Tana mentions a baby we said, why is she speaking with her husband? Because when her baby wakes her up at the end of the night, she wakes up and she's clear-minded, she's sitting up and she's holding her baby and she's nursing him. And because of that, she nurses from her husband, uh, she speaks to her husband. That's why over there it mentions the baby first. Because the baby came first and that woke up the mother. The baby is the cause of the mother speaking. To teach you that the baby woke up the mother. The mother speaks to the husband. Here there's no reason to tell us that 
the baby woke up the mother. Because we already heard that story. And remember the primary siman, the primary sign is the mother speaking and not the baby nursing. And that's why when it talks about the person who's laying in a dark room and he cannot know what time it is outside, he doesn't say Shema Yisrael because of the baby. He says Shema Yisrael because he hears the husband and the wife talking. And that's why it changes the order from baby first to mother second. It changes the order from there to mother first and baby second. Because for the one who needs the sign, he's alone. Enough pshat. You're willing to pass with me the pshat now? I want to get deeper with the Ben Ishchai. You accept? Let's look back to the right column. The right column in the middle on page bit. The breaking up of the night into three watches that the Tana mentioned in the Baraita, it appears to me with the Kadosh Baruch Hu's help that they refer, these three watches refer to the following three things. Now the Ben welcome to the world of a Kabbalist. For those who haven't experienced this before, get ready. Mishmara Rishona, the first watch. Remez la philosophim hakadmonim. This first watch is all about, it's an allusion to the first, the early philosophers. Ke'aristo, like Aristotle, the Chaverav, and his colleagues. Shebasof, because ultimately, nigla kilonam, their disgrace was revealed. Vinodao, and it was known to all mankind, Shehem Chamorim, that they are donkeys, and Behem Tivuna, they have no intelligence, no wisdom. So, who's writing this? Rabbi Yosef Chaim of Baghdad is telling you that the early philosophers are part of the first watch, because the first, what's the sign of the first watch? The donkey, right? So who are the donkeys? The early philosophers, like Aristotle and his friends. They built the foundations of their books, their philosophies, on false foundations. Once they have been disgraced and dishonored, and they've disappointed us, their books are good for nothing and they belong in the trash can and everybody has abandoned the writings of the early philosophers and that's why the author of this Beraita, Rabbi Eliezer, says the first watch is chamorim, donkeys which have no intellect, no wisdom someone give me some background here why does the Ben Ishchai dislike the philosopher so much? Assuming um, this is a fight between rationalists. Between, between? Kabbalah and either the Maimonideans or the rationalists. Okay, so let's take Maimonides out of the equation just for a moment. But this is most definitely an old war between the philosophers 
and the camp of Chachamim that identify perhaps, and you don't, you know, it's very dangerous. Chacham Fa'u has an introduction to his commentary on the Rambam's Mishneh Torah. I paid a lot of money for that book because it's out of print for a long time, but there are PDFs available if you would like to study them on your own. It's in Hebrew. Chacham Fa'ur in his introduction there deals with this malicious trying to convince everybody that the Rambam was an Aristotelian scholar. Because he mentions Aristotle doesn't make him Aristotelian and people try to put the Rambam in a box because once they can discredit Aristotle, they throw the Rambam in the category, you can get rid of anything you don't like about the Rambam. But this is an evil thing that has been done. It's an injustice that has been done to the Rambam. But that's not in today's conversation. Yeah, what, was, yeah, what, what do you want to say? No, no, the Rambam himself disagrees with Aristotle. And, uh, the, very good. That's correct. The Rambam himself disagrees with Aristotle. Okay, this is but beyond today. Today is not a Rambam class. It's, though, when you see people... It's very important when you hear one person attack another person. I'm not talking only like Lashon Hara. When you hear, for example, one politician tell you what another politician, his enemy says, don't trust them. Very often we learn what people think based on their opponents. So how much of what we know about the war between the Maimonideans and the non-Maimonideans or the anti-Maimonideans, how much of that is based on what the Maimonideans actually said? Versus what the anti-Maimonideans said the Maimonideans said. We base much of our information off of polemics that other people wrote, telling you what the other people said. But don't trust them what they said. If you want to know what somebody says, go look at them what they actually said. Very often people try to paint the Rambam in all kinds of ways, and the one thing you can tell is they never studied anything real about the Rambam. Very superficial readings of the Rambam. They never truly understood who was the Rambam. The Mekubalim and the philosophers are at odds with each other. They've been at odds with each other since the beginning of this, this war. And it's never ended. There are different stances and different people and different opinions and different chachamim. Look right in front of me now. I have a book. It's much later in the, in the game. Ari Nohem. This book, Ari Nohem, is written by Rabbi Yehuda Aryeh de Modena. He wrote one of the commentaries on the Enyaakov that we have in our book. Rabbi Yudha de Modena was an Italian Chacham. There's an English biography of his life, maybe the, the autobiography of an 18th century Venetian rabbi, it's called. It's a tragic life that he had. He wrote his own, he wrote, it's an autobiography, he wrote his own biography, and it's a tragedy, his life. He was one of the most brilliant Chachamim. And he dedicated this work to discrediting anything about the Zohar and Kabbalah and the Kabbalists and this book, the Ari Nohem, the Roaring Lion, is an anti-Kabbalistic work. It's worth a read if you understand this type of Hebrew. I own a number of responses back to the Arinohim. So here in front of me, for example, I have the book. Emat Mafgia. Emat Mafgia was written by another Italian rabbi, who was the chief rabbi of Livorno in Italy, Rabbi Eliyahu ben Amozeg. Have you heard of Rabbi Eliyahu ben Amozeg? For those who haven't had a chance to ever dabble in the writings of Rabbi I've spoken about him before. I once even taught you an entire kolal class that I refused to record for reasons beyond the scope of today's conversation. 
But you're welcome to go to Amazon and you could buy one of his books translated into English called Israel and Humanity by Elijah Ben Amozeg. One word, Ben Amozeg. B-E-N-A-M-O-Z-E-G-H. The things you'll read in the book you can agree with or you can disagree with. But one thing you'll say is that never in your life did you think that these kind of ideas have been written and put on paper before. An unbelievable understanding of how Am Yisrael fits into other religions and other nations and other... It's an unbelievable work. There are those who claim that this it's a translation of French into Hebrew and Hebrew into English. And there are those who claim that there needs to be a better Hebrew translation done. Fine, they're still telling me they're going to put out a Hebrew translation and they haven't done it yet. For now, it is what it is. I have a book from the Ramchal. The Ramchal authored three books retorting back to the Arinohem, Tribute de Modena. There are so many where the Ramchal himself has a book. This war is between a philosopher and a capitalist. Yes. Uh, sometime in the 18th century. Yeah. And there are more modern books I've mentioned before in, in Yemen. Milchamot Hashem, Raviche Kapach, against uh, the Zohar in particular. You have then a book back, which is not really, it's not really a, a answering point by point, but it's the rabbis of Jerusalem, supposedly, who are attacking Rabbi Chekafich, and back and forth, wars. The Benish Chai is on the Kabbalist side of the camp. I'm going to pause for a second. If I'm not mistaken, if I'm not mistaken, the introduction of the book Akedat Yitzchak, have you heard of Akedat Yitzchak? Who wrote Akedat Yitzchak? Anyone know what the Akedat Yitzchak is? Don't tell me the biblical binding of Yitzchak. I know that's what it's named after, but what is the book Akedat Yitzchak? Guys, what did Rashi write on the Torah? A commentary. Very good. What's Rashi's name? Very good. Very nice. Very uh, nice. What is the commentary of the Ramban? What is that on the Torah? It's the Ramban's commentary on the Torah. Who wrote the book of the Ramban? What's his name? No, Ramban with a nun. His commentary on the Chumash. Rabbi Moshe ben Nachman. Yes? What about the Or Chaim? The Or Chaim HaKadosh, they call it. Who wrote that book? Rabbi Chaim ben Atar. It's a commentary on the Torah. Akedat Yitzchak. It's in the same genre. So guess, what is the Akedat Yitzchak? It's a commentary on the Torah. Very good, very good. Uh, and now, who wrote the Akedat Yitzchak? For all of you who've been looking at me like I fell off the moon, you had time to take out your phone or your computer to Google it and save your grace uh, before you had just... And I'm still, I'm still going to tell you, Akedat Yitzchak, who wrote the book Akedat Yitzchak? It 
It's intentionally silent, so you feel awkward. His first name was Yitzchak. You can guess that much. Rabbi Yitzchak. Very good. Rabbi Yitzchak Arama. Very good. Thank you, Pam. This Rabbi Yitzchak Arama wrote a book, Akinat Yitzchak. It's one of the most important commentaries in the Torah. I think um, Rabbi Eli Monk, he wrote a, a bridged Akedat Yitzchak in the Torah. Now, you know, Rabbi Eli Monk, from what I understand of his translations, they're very, they're not exact translations of texts, and people have a hard time with that, but they're meant to get you the gist of the ideas uh, very fast on the books. And he has, if I'm not mistaken, even he has it in English. It boggles my mind every time I ask somebody, how do you know these commentaries, but you don't know those commentaries? How could it be? I'm not talking about a book of Dirashot, I'm not talking about, it's a book, it's a commentary in the Chumash. Rabbi Yitzchak if I'm not mistaken, his introduction to Hakedat Yitzchak, he writes that one of his motivations to write a commentary, I think, I think I'd say, man, forgive me if I'm wrong, one of his motivations to write a commentary in the Chumash is to stop all of the rabbis who are uh, contaminated with philosophy, to stop them from interpreting the Torah, and instead to give a real interpretation of the Torah based on the Kabbalah that is in our heads. And this again is one of those old wars that you will not solve. There's a famous rabbi, Rabbi Natan of Nemerov. Who was Rabbi Natan of Nemerov? Is that the student of Rabbi Nachman? Very good. That's a student of Rabbi Nachman. However, we should be embarrassed if we know Rabbi Natan of Nemerov, but not Rabbi Yitzchak Arama. Rabbi Natan of Nemerov was the student of Rabbi Nachman of Breslau, the primary disciple of Rabbi Nachman of Breslau. He writes in two different places, not just against the rabbis who are philosophers. That you know. Rabbi Nachman had a whole war against the philosophers. But he writes about all of those who try to fuse those two worlds together. Anyone who tries to make peace between philosophy and Kabbalah, I have in my writings. One day if you want, I can bring them to you and read them to you. He writes some of the most horrific things about any rabbi on earth who tries to reconcile this evil contaminating philosophy with the true Torah of Kabbalah. Somebody once came to a, a marriage therapist, a couple, and the marriage therapist said, you have irreconcilable differences. Kabbalah and philosophy, according to many people, seem to have irreconcilable differences. The Ben Ishchai is showing you just how irreconcilable. The only thing the Ben Ishchai can tell us about Aristotle is that he's a chamo, he's a donkey, who has no intellect. Take it for what it is. Let's continue. Yeah. What? You want what I'm going to tell you or what everyone else is going to tell you? No, because it's not a Kabbalistic um, word, but, but a lot of Kabbalistic likes like to use that book to, to, to go against like, the Rambam and stuff like that. I'll admit to you that in my youth, when I was younger and I taught Kuzari, I also learned the Kuzari then. As there's a Rambam and there's the Kuzari and they're separate. And they, but really, if you look properly at the Kuzari, you will see the Kuzari is 
fits in with the Rambam and Rabbeinu Bachir and the Rav Saadia Gaon and all of that worldview, obviously can you find a difference somewhere from that? Okay, people have a bit. But in terms of the old Sephardic world, it fits into that side of the Sephardic world as opposed to the side everyone else tries to force it into. My opinion, but I, everyone is entitled to interpret how they want. The rest of the world will tell you the opposite of what I just told you. And myself included. If you would know me many years ago, I would tell you the same thing. The second watch. By the way, Kuzari, I'm not certain that somebody can be considered Jewish until they learn the Kuzari. Don't feel offended. I didn't just call everybody here non-Jews. I just... This book, Kuzari, even the Gaon of Vilna, the Gaon of Vilna says about the Kuzari, that all of the faith of the Jewish people is inside of the book Kuzari. This is our book. Our go-to book in the world is the Kuzari. The, once Haraperetz was speaking in a, a girls' school in Yerushalayim, one of those Beis Yaakovs. It could have even been a Sephardic one, but he was speaking there. And he was speaking and he was speaking and he quoted something from the Kuzari. And the principal of the school walks over to the microphone and said, Thank you very much, Harav Agon, Harav Perez, for speaking in the school, and we wish you a wonderful day. But I'm not done. He said, no, you're done. He said, but I'm not done. He said, you cannot quote the Kuzari here. Whenever you see people who are afraid of a Jewish book like that, that's the one you should go read. A word of uh, wisdom. There's a reason why they don't want you to read the Kuzari. The book is a, such, it's not just beautiful, It'll set things straight for you if you read it correctly. A dog, the dogs howl. These are the later philosophers. Our rabbis say, Kelev. What does the Kelev mean? He's all heart. If I said all the negative things about dogs last week, here's a positive thing about a dog. Dogs have hearts. They, the later philosophers, had a good heart. They understood. They understood in their heart just how wrong the early philosophers were. And they would scream, howl, like dogs. The early philosophers are wrong. But also them. Even though they tried, they still didn't reach the truth foundations. The true foundations. And they built these buildings only with their logic, only with their mind, and not with any type of. Again, the Ben Chayyim Mekubal. So Kabbalah. Now, Rabbi de Modena speaks about this at length. Something could either be Kabbalah, or it could be Chokhmah. Something could either be wisdom, or it can be tradition. It can't be Chokhmat Kabbalah, the wisdom of Kabbalah. The reason, wisdom is something that you reach with your own intellect, with your logic, with your, the faculties of your mind. Tradition is something you receive. It doesn't have to necessarily make sense with your mind. It's something you receive from previous generation. So you have to make up your mind. Is this wisdom or is it tradition? Those are not the same thing. And, okay, the Ben Shai here is, is speaking a little of this. He's putting down those who believe that they can reach truthful conclusions with their intellect as opposed to the tradition that is in his hands. And the third watch, is compared to the holy Jewish people. 
שכל בניינם וידיעתם, that all of their knowledge, everything that they have, בנויה על תורת אמת, is built on the true Torah. היא הקבלה והמסורת שקיבל משה רבנו עליו ושלום בסיני. I don't know, I don't know how to translate the sentence correctly. If the Benish Chai is using the word Kabbalah in the modern sense of Kabbalah that you know, or the Benish Chai is saying Kabbalah as a synonym of Masoret, of tradition that Moshe Rabbeinu received on Hal Sinai. Meaning we didn't make things up out of thin air. We, Am Yisrael, we received our wisdom from the creator of the universe who taught it to Moshe Rabbeinu, who gave it to us, and that's what we are. And we're therefore the third watch, and that's why it says, that a mother nurses her baby, or a baby nurses from his mother. The mother is the oral Torah. Sorry. The baby is the oral law, who is nursing from the written law. Who is the written law? The Torah. The Torah is referred to as a woman. And the Torah itself will communicate with her husband. Who is the husband? That's Am Yisrael. Like it says in Mishlech, that someone who studies Torah truthfully, a spirit of wisdom, of, of holiness will rest on them. That if a person can reach a certain level, that when they learn Torah, the Torah itself gives them the answers to the questions they have in the Torah. Where did you get the answer from? From the Torah itself. You can reach a level of Limud Torah. It's as if you yourself are speaking with the Torah. Like the Torah is speaking with you. Like Shemuel says, the spirit of HaKadosh Baruch Hu has spoken to me. And his words are on my tongue. If you want to see a beautiful image of this, there's a famous Hasidic Rebbe called the Piyasetzna Rebbe. In his introduction to his book, Chovot HaTalmidim, he has a beautiful explanation there to a young yeshiva student. To envision that you're sitting at a table learning Torah, but a Kadosh Bahu is sitting opposite from you, speaking these words of Torah to you. You don't sit and read a book at home. You sit and learn Torah with the Creator of the universe. While you're studying, He's teaching you the Torah. Now he's quoting the Zohar. When you find in the Idra, Rabba, that when the colleagues of Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai were studying you know, this holy, these holy teachings, and they began sharing words of Torah by the Holy Spirit that rested on them. And I've explained to you Ruach HaKodesh in a different way elsewhere. And like I will explain to you now the teaching of our rabbis in the Yalkut Shimoni who say, in the future it will happen that the Jewish people will become all of your children will be students of Hashem. Meaning knowledgeable of Hashem. That they will learn Torah from HaKadosh Baruch directly. And it's a very interesting thing. How do you learn Torah directly from the Creator? Because when this happened to us last time in Hal Sinai, what happened when we heard the first of the Ten Commandments from HaKadosh Baruch himself? What happened to the Jewish people? We, we, we died. According to our rabbis, when HaKadosh Baruch spoke to us directly, we couldn't handle it. 
So how can it be that Dichtiv it says in Shir Hashirim, Nafshi Yatsa'a B'Dabero? We say this in Shir Hashirim. My soul left when he spoke to me. If you will remember the days where you still loved your spouse, you remember that when they used to speak to you, you would get like heart palpitations, a little bit of excitement. It was almost like you didn't have words to say. That's what Ami Salah says. When a Kalushu speaks to us, we, we, we can't even breathe. We're, we're like we're dying. How will it be, says the Ben Ishchai, that one day it will happen, we'll all learn Torah from Magadur B'chud. The last time we tried, we died. We fainted, once we fainted, we fainted. But we're not going to survive, so how is it going to happen that's in the future? And I'm explaining to them this way. Top left column, HaKadosh Baruch Hu will pour upon us a special spirit from above. That we will have a Ruach HaKodesh that will rest on us. We will be able to look at the Torah and just from the text of the Torah we will be able to uncover all the secrets of the Torah from that. All of the hidden wisdom will be taught to us. And that's exactly what David HaMelech asked for in Tehillim 119 when he said, Gal enai, uncover my eyes, and let me see the wonders of your Torah. Meaning, meaning, let me study Torah, Gal enai, I won't be dependent on another human being to teach me Torah. This is exactly what the Ben Ishchai told us last week. Remember this last week? The Ben Shai is consistent, both here, both here and last week, that there will come a day where we will not be dependent on third parties to teach us Torah, but we will be able to learn Torah for ourselves. Like it says, Ruach Adonai Diberbi Umina Torah Leshona. Like Shemuel says, the spirit of Akadosh Baruch who spoke within me and his word is on my tongue. And this will be considered as if they learned Torah from Akadosh Baruch Meaning, they receive the Ruach HaKadosh and they learn Torah directly from Akadosh Baruch through their own, their own faculties, this new Ruach HaKadosh that was given to them. Because we'll no longer learn from teachers, but we will learn we will learn from a spirit above. And this is what our forefathers in the tzaddikim taught us. And that's why it says Isha, a wife. Ultimately, the third sign of the redemption will be that a woman will speak with her husband. Meaning, that the woman who is the Torah, our wife, will teach us the secrets that we need to know. He said, and look at the Zohar where it mentions... A beautiful teaching similar to this one. I know what time it is. Technically, I have a few more minutes. I want to ask your permission because next week I want to do with you Harav Kuk, if that's okay. Can I do one more piece with you from the Benish Chai son? Yeah? Okay. If anyone needs to go, I understand. I just, uh, let's. There's another PDF attached. And this PDF is called Geon Yaakov. Gon Yaakov, as I told you before, is written by Rabbi Yaakov, who is the son of the Ben Ishchai. He's the son of the Chacham we just studied now. Last week, Marlene asked a good question, and that was, it still says that HaKadosh Baruch roars three times. 
So it's nice that you say that HaKadosh Baruch only roars twice because it says the word Mishmara twice. But at the end of the day, the text says HaKadosh Baruch roars three times. So what is the third roar for? The Gaon Yaakov, you're looking for the page that has an Aleph in the bottom left. I don't know what page of the PDF that is. One, two, three. Maybe page three, could it be? Two? Page two, very good. It says in the middle of the page, Every watch, HaKadosh Baruch Hu roars like a lion. There's three roars that happen. What are those three roars? Says the Benish Chaisan, Rabbi Yaakov of Baghdad. There are three roars. One is, so the first two are obviously about the Batei Mikdash that were destroyed. But the third roar is about what? The Ben Mikdash which is in heaven. Hagam Shlonichav Chadina, of course, the Ben Mikdash that is in heaven has not been destroyed. Mikol Makom, nonetheless, Nishba Kadosh Bachu, Kadosh Bachu has told us, Shaloi Kanes Bebet Mikdash and Mala, Adshi Kanes Bebet Mikdash and Mata. In the Talmud, in Masechet Tanit, Kadosh Bachu swears to the Jewish people that I will not enter the Ben Mikdash above until I first enter the Ben Mikdash below. Vashnaim Kenegel Chuban Bet Mikdash, Vechal Pamain. So the first two are, for the Batei Mikdash that were destroyed. The third roar is for the Bet Mikdash of HaKadosh Baruch Hu, even though it's not destroyed, but it's not occupied, because we have not yet built a home for HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And because we have not yet built a home for HaKadosh Baruch Hu, He has decided not to enter His Bet Mikdash, whatever that means. Simply that Ben Ishqai's son is telling us there is a third roar, and this is the meaning of the third roar. Yoshev HaKadosh Baruch Hu Kari, HaKadosh Baruch Hu sits and roars like a lion. Why like a lion? In order to lift the character trait of givura, of, that's uh, in uh, Kabbalistic literature, of might over the nations of the world. To avenge their destruction of his Ben Mikdash. Let's say it in simple words without resorting to Kabbalah. HaKadosh Baruch Hu's words like a lion, like we said, a lion roars unlike other animals. He doesn't roar because he's afraid. The lion roars because he's trying to make you afraid. HaKadosh Baruch Hu roars to show the nations of the world, be scared of me. I will take back what you destroyed. I will avenge my Ben Mikdash. The third watch. Mishmara Rishona Chamona. The first watch, a donkey brace. Shaniya Klavim Tzakim. The second, a dog's howl. Shilishi Tinoku Nekmishdei Imo Visham Sabeldi Bala. A baby nurses from his mother and a woman speaks with her husband. I wish to explain this based on the world of Remez, of illusion. Based on what our rabbis say in Masechet Sanhedrin. Sheet, look on the top of page Bet. So look at the top of page 3. The world is made up of 6,000 years, the first 2,000, the second 2,000, the third 2,000. Ramazkan, Rabbi Eliezer is hinting to us, Mishmara Rishona Chamor Noer. And the first watch, which is the donkey bring, they correspond to the first 2,000 years of exile. Now the Benish Chaisan, Rabbi Yaakov, is not the only one who told us this. We had another commentary that told us about the 2,000, 2,000, 2,000. But he's going to interpret this slightly different. The first 2,000 years. The world, what did the world do for the first 2,000 years? The world was chasing after physicality, after substance, after the desires of this world. 
כמו דור המבול ודור הפלגה, like the generation of the flood and the generation of the tower בבל, the generation of separation. What happened in those generations? All people wanted was money, was other people's wives, was they corrupted their ways in front of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's what the Torah tells us, correct? Because they ran after their bodies. They're not in a healthy way to take care of their body. They run after the pleasures of their bodies. They enjoyed all the pleasures of this world. The generations after them, they did not have the Torah because the Torah was not yet given. And there was nothing that would cut or purify that physicality in them or refine them. And that's why it says a donkey braised. The donkey in them, the chomer is physicality also, not just the donkey. The physical which was inside of them, took over them, the physical took over their body, and all it wanted was to indulge, indulge, indulge. And they didn't have a heart. They had no ability to choose light because they didn't have a Torah. And they were so obsessed with the physical world that they ran after it. And that was the first 2,000 years. And because of that, Rabbi Eliezer calls that the generation of the donkey. The donkey, Chomer, running after physicality. Shnia, the second. Kilavim Tzohakim. The dogs are howling. Lirmoz, it teaches you Torah, the 2,000 years of the Torah. We were now given the heart to choose life. What does the Kuzmuk tell us in the Torah? Choose life, choose life. Choose life. And is given to reach the highest levels of the ladder of holiness. To run after wisdom and science and to knowledge the Torah and to serve HaKadosh Baruch But many people still in those second 2,000 years, they didn't choose to ascend this path. And they instead chose to be like dogs. Instead, they chose to scream and scream and scream about how their food wasn't good and their bodies and their galut and their exile. Everything was about themselves. This, this, again, they had a choice, but they made a bad choice. Should they cheat? What about the third 2,000 years, which we're in right now? Says Rabbi Yaakov. Romez, and hints to, Al Shnei Alafim Shiliyumot HaMashiach, the last 2,000 years when the world is ready to be fixed in the days of the Mashiach Listen carefully because you're going to hear the father's voice speaking in the son's throat The Jewish people will be like those who nurse from their mother That their goodness will come to them from the Shekhinah what does it mean that a woman speaks with her husband? The Jewish people will once again regain prophecy. Like the prophet tells us in Yoel, that your sons and daughters will prophesy yet again. HaKadosh Baruch Hu promises us that our children will become prophets again. 
All will know me, says HaKadosh Baruch Hu, Miktanim v'ad gedonim. From the great ones to the small ones, everybody will know me. I think here, this is where Yaakov, the son of the Benishchai, ends. You can tell that he learned from his father. You can tell he learned his Talmud from his father. Both the Benishchai and his son are dreaming of a world. They're dreaming of a world in which people will all decide to run after the Torah. Why? Because they've made a choice to educate themselves. They've run after the Torah because they believe that education, familiarity with the Kadosh Baruch Hu, is the primary goal, is the only way to get close to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. Recently I had to talk with somebody about defining Shiviti, what are we, who are we, I don't like to do these things. But one thing I can tell you for certain, and that is, those who come here looking for a great Kiddush lunch, yeah, we have, I think we have good food, I don't think it's bad food. We're not serving you gefilte fish out of jars, you know, with jelly on them. We have nice food around here, Baruch Hashem. But they're going to be disappointed because Kiddush doesn't look like what Kiddush looks like. We sit and learn during Kiddush. It's boring. The people are going to come for tefillah. Tefillah is nice, but we learn a lot during tefillah. They're going to come during the week. They want bingo night or movie night or I don't know, whatever other places do. Sushi and parsha night or martinis and and um, Mishle night, I don't know, all kinds of things people do, they're not going to find it here. And I think that the one goal that we've had and the thing that binds us all in common, because if you look at our faces, it's not where we come from, and it's not where, it's not, none of the, the things that bind other people together in terms of homogenous groups that don't unite us. But it's the belief that education is what will change our connection with the Kadosh Bukhu. We're here this late at night, some of you later than me. Because we believe that learning Torah will change the way we view this world, will change the ability that we have for the best to connect with the Kadosh Baruch Hu. That's exactly what we're doing here. And that is a message that everybody can connect to. We believe everybody, all of the children of the Kadosh Baruch Hu, all types of Jews and all types of human beings, all of them will one day know HaKadosh Baruch Hu that the world will become filled De'at Adonai with the knowledge of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. How do you expect to fill the world with knowledge of HaKadosh Baruch Hu if you don't teach Torah and you don't learn Torah? What is Judaism? I hear all about Judaism and religious people, but if you're religious and you don't learn Torah, so what are you? If you're so Jewish but you don't have Torah, what are you? If you're a community that offers all kinds of social events, great, so you're a, you're a country club, it's very nice. I, there's room for that. We need it. But what about the Torah? The one thing that will make us realize that we are a baby that nurses from his mother. We have a mother. We have what to nurse from. The next step, if we truly nurse from our mother, is HaKadosh Baruch Hu will begin to speak with us. That communication that we've been lost for so many years. These centuries and centuries of sitting, not just in a physical exile, but in exile of HaKadosh Baruch Hu not communicating with us clearly anymore. We can solve that. If we just wake up our mother, if you wake up the love, if you wake up the Torah, the Torah, ultimately we wake up our mother, our mother wakes up our father, our father will start to speak with us the secrets of the Torah, and you and I will be back in Yerushalayim with the Ben Mikdash and the glorious world that we know will happen with Yimot Mashiach. But there's a first step that has to happen. And that step has to be, we have to accept that we are babies, we have ways to go, but we are nursing from our mother who is the Torah. A Torah is going to wake up our father who is the Kadosh Baruch Hu. Yisrael, Vawaita, Vekucha, Berich, Uchadhem. We're all one. 
these Jewish people in the Torah and the Kadosh Baruch Hu, we're all part of one same family, we're all one thing. And I believe truly that with the power of education, of Limud Torah, the study of Torah, not to be snobby and not to be bragging, the power of Torah to use as a force to re-engage with our Judaism and to connect to HaKadosh Baruch Hu is the most powerful thing that we have on earth. It is the most powerful tool that we have to bring about all the wonderful things that we want to the world. And B'zalat Hashem, I'm sure that we will be successful. And I want to thank you truly for being here on this journey with me through learning tonight and all the other nights that we sit here together and the days that we sit here together. Tizkulim Mitzvot. B'zalat Hashem and Baruch.